was just a, a fantastic thing. So we've started a series where I've just looked a little bit back over my, uh, you know, uh, 40 odd years of being a Christian and coming from a really busted, broken, uh, you know, background, leaving home, living on the streets, living by your wits, living under a false identity, gangs, alcohol, drugs, you know, all the bad stuff. And then getting... Uh, getting this wonderful encounter where I met Jesus. And for me, uh, I could reject Jesus, but for me, I can't ever get to a place where I don't believe that he exists because I had an encounter with him. I literally met him face to face. So that was a life-changing, transformational experience for me. So I could turn my back on him. I can be disobedient, but I know that God's existence. I know it. I've met him. And so then I've looked at, okay, how do you take this bipolar, junior alcoholic, violent person with a, you know, a, 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 a terrible temper and all the other stuff that was going on with me had become very busted on the inside where I only cope with life by not caring about anything. You, know, you can't hurt me because I don't care. You can't touch me in that way. So... Um, what were the things that really helped me in my progress? So, so if I had to say, what are the top 10 things that have really helped me to grow and develop as a Christian believer? This is what this series is about. So last week we looked at, you know, getting first to first base in the sense of give up everybody else's race and just run your own. That's, that's really important. Give up comparing yourself measuring yourself with others because that's not the race. The race is, can you be a worse you than you are? I'm looking at you. Can you be worse? Can you bring chaos, confusion, poverty, pain, addiction? Can you do that? Well, I could. Or can you be a better you and let Jesus change you and the way the uh, Paul talks about it is an image of a father who wants to see Christ formed within you. In the same way that a mother uh, incubates a child and that child as an embryo begins to grow and to develop with this expectation of the full birth, of the joy that goes with that, that one day we'll be fully born as the manifested sons of God. Right now, it does not, 1 John 3, 2 says, it does not yet seem, seem what we shall be. We don't look like the sons of God now, do we? No, we don't. But one day, we shall be like Jesus. So how can I become better? So that's, that's the first thing. So today I'm going to talk to you about something else that I found essential. In fact, I would say, if you do not master this aspect of biblical truth, you're not going to do well in Christianity. So I don't know if you ever take notes, but this is one to take notes for. Sort of. So next slide, thank you. So this is our patch, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 6. But just to uh, reinforce, what did we do last week? We looked at a few verses down in the same chapter, verse 12. For we would not dare to classify, compare ourselves with some of those who recommend themselves. 
but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. And uh, some versions say you're just plain stupid. So are you going to join the right race? Forget about the people around you. I'm too skinny. I'm too fat. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too dumb. I'm too smart. I'm too... You, you Give it up. Just be a better you. Turn to your name and say, I believe you can be a better you. Okay, fantastic. Keep them awake. Thank you. <laughs> so stop comparing. I mean, which fish is doing better here? Which one? Who thinks the small fish is doing better? Who thinks the big fish is doing better? <laughs> hey, it's just comparisons, isn't it? The only thing you can do is be where you are and swim as well as you can, whatever bowl you're given. Next slide. Thank you. So again, it was the book of 2 Corinthians and uh, the scholars tell us that there's probably actually, this is probably 3 Corinthians. There's actually 1 Corinthians, the initial letter that Paul writes to a church to address a church in Christ that's got some serious problems, immorality, drunkenness at the Lord's table, disunity, lots of issues and in the meantime and in the middle of all that Paul really wants them to address some immorality issues and challenge them and says you've got to cast out the immoral person we now know that there was probably another letter that Paul wrote in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians that's been lost for whatever reason but we have 2 Corinthians 3 Corinthians kept and now Paul is trying to uh, re-establish his authority because he had actually made some long, hard calls as a leader from a distance. And uh, people don't always respond to pastors. I mean, I ask you this question, not in any sense of uh, domination or control, but how much authority do you real, does Christian leaders actually have over your life? You know, it's something that Australians don't talk about at all, you know. The average Australian has the attitude, I've come to church, you should be lucky I got here. <laughs> How much authority do you really give? Not bad leaders, but if you believe that they're a godly appointed leader under accountability, there is actually a place for you to say, okay, am I a disciple or am I just a consumer? Am I here to, to add to the kingdom or do I live? So Paul's re-establishing, he lays down principles for personal commitment, for his personal practice that he's using as a guide to spur and encourage others and then he starts to talk about his own personal credentials it's that terrible dynamic where i have to sit down and say actually i've studied theology for about 30 years i know my bible i pray you know it's that sort of a dynamic next slide thank you says a bit of the background so this is the text that i think is critical to having a successful life critical if you don't get this one right, you're going to live well below what the level of victory that's in this house right now. Thank you, Esther and the team. Amazing. You know, there it is. The faith has been generated for victory. But unless that faith is then attached to, these, uh, to this truth, you will struggle to ever live in victory. Okay? So let's say this together. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, 
They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. And we make it obedient to Christ. Next slide. Thank you. So we're just going to pull out the verbs of that particular passage. So three verbs, fight, demolish, capture. Okay, the first thing you've got to do to have a successful is you've got to fight. You've got to fight. You've got to fight. If you just want to sit back and cruise through it all, you are not going to achieve everything God wants to achieve because you've got to fight. But what you've got to also do is you've got to fight with the right weapons in the right way. Because our weapons aren't the weapons of the natural way of doing things or the way the world would do things. And the way that we fight is very different. But here's the good news. Our weapons win. If you get the right weapon and use it the right way, guess what happens? You have divine power to win. Who wants to win? Well, you just have to do it the right way. I love that thing in the Raiders of the Lost Ark where uh, Indiana Jones is uh, going through this like Arabian-type marketplace and out comes this big guy with a really big sword, you know. He starts flashing the sword around all this. You know the scene? You know what Indiana Jones does? Takes out his gun, shoots him. (laughs) You see, if you use the right weapons the right way, you can win, can't you? You know, rape, uh, rock, Paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. (laughs) But you've got to have the right weapon in the right way. So one of the things that the Bible tells you, that Paul tells you, you've got to fight the way that God tells you, which you've got to fight in here before you ever fight out there. You've got to put the fight in here and do that battle of the mind and then you have victory out of there. As some Sue said many years ago, before any battle is ever won, it's got to be won here. It's got to be won here before you win. And so, uh, next slide, thank you. Oh, actually, slow down. In the sense that this image at the back there, can you see the picture of the skull on the background? You know, in the, in the, in the cliff face, you can sort of like see the two eye sockets and the nose. And of course, this is actually a picture of the uh, traditional place just above that where Jesus would have been crucified. And so in the local language, they called it the place of Golgotha, the place of the skull. And you could see why they might call it the place of the skull, isn't it? But I I do think it's absolutely fascinating that when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified in a place talking about the skull. And I wonder what was going through Jesus' mind when he's hanging there between heaven and hell. Because, you know, he could have got off the cross any time. You, you know that, don't you? He could have said, hey, I just got spat on again. That's enough. They don't know. I am the prince of... He could have got off that cross any time and called 10,000 angels to destroy the world. At any time, he could have said, it's enough. 
I don't, can't do it anymore. It's not fair. It's not right. And in all that, and you can trace it through, he's actually doing a bit of a battle of the mind. What he does is actually quote Psalm 22 to himself. So where we hear that language, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not the language of depression. It's not the language of someone who's feeling abandoned by God. It's the Son of God, fully God, fully human, on the cross, and he's doing something here. God, I know the psalmist spoke about this day. He spoke about it in Psalm 22. He spoke about how the Messiah, the anointed one, would be surrounded by dogs and by demons and that he would have to suffer for his people. And at the end of that particular passage, the the psalm promises that God will vindicate his righteous one. He's actually doing the battle of the mind because he had the power to change it, like we all do. We all have the power to change it. We have the power to believe God, to trust in his word. We have the power to turn our back and walk away and believe in our own barometer. So that battle for the mind is so important. So uh, battle of Golgotha. Next slide, thank you. So you've got to use the right weapons with the right methods, don't you? Yes? Change your neighbour and go, one, two, three. And rock, paper, scissors. Okay. Who won? Who won? It's a little preacher's trick to try and keep you all awake. So that's good. Fantastic. Uh, Next slide. Thank you. Okay. Now, the verse goes on to say that we demolish strongholds. Say demolish. Is demolish a nice soft word? Is it sort of gentle? Is it like, you know, let's leave a little bit around? Demolish is actually a very strong word, isn't it? So what are you meant to do with strongholds? You're meant to demolish them, extinguish them, annihilate them. A stronghold in the ancient world was placed up on a hill and they put a fortress on it, a stone castle, a tower, something like that, because it was then an easy place to defend. It had high ground, so people had to run up a hill. They had a better aim. The arrows would go further. So all these defences were placed on high places. Now, in your mind, in my heart, in our lives, there are strong holds. Strong holds. And there's the things that people know about and there's the things that people don't know about but strongholds. And the Bible says that if we want to live in victory, we've got to fight with the right methods the right way. Because why? Because that's how you win. You do win using the right methods the right way. But you also have to demolish strongholds. And you sometimes won't even know what's got a strong hold over you until... You try to break free. Hmm? Do you know that? Hmm? You often won't know. You see, I reckon I could give up coffee any day of my life. I'm brave, aren't I? I am super brave. But I really don't know, do I? Because I love my coffee. 
and I drink my coffee. I was at a, um, a dinner with some pastors on uh, Friday and uh, amazing setting of uh, a guy telling a story of how a 15-year-old girl uh, adopted him as a compassion child and this guy's grown up to be a world-class leader. Great story. And then we've got all these pastors around the city talking about how do you build unity within the church of Jesus Christ? What's the overarching theme? We went round. I shouldn't have been in the room. I don't know how they let me in, but uh, uh, we're going around. And at the end of the day, they're trying to figure out what's the key to unity for Perth. And uh, I observed it was probably coffee. <laughs> uh, we need more than coffee, of course. So strongholds. What's, what are the strongholds? Uh, you often don't really know until you get those triggers that take you back to the, the web of failures, you know, those strings of disappointments and hurt. You often don't know, do you? But I think a stronghold in my life uh, was rejection. You know, I've never known the love of my father. He may have loved me, but I can never remember using those words, I love you. Uh, I can remember him rejecting me, strange sorts of language here and there, leaving home at 14 after challenging him to a fight. And... Uh, that deep-seated rejection has travelled with me my whole life. And so you, you may not realise how bad I take it when someone leaves our church and goes to a better church. It, it hurts me more than I should. But God has been graceful over the years and it's no longer a stronghold. I think I've demolished it. It's all a vulnerability. But what are you meant to do with strongholds? Demolish them. Pornography. Don't play with it. Demolish it. Substance abuse. Don't play with it. Demolish it. This is fighting language, guys. If you want victory, you've got to go to war. If you want to break through, you've got to go to battle. If you want to have some breakthroughs, then you've got to get into some conflict but we don't wage war as the world does. We wage war according to the weapons of God, which is getting a hold of this stuff in your head and bringing it into submission to Jesus Christ. Castle, stronghold. The arguments and the reasoning which are disputant endeavours to fortify his opinion to defend against his opponent. Oh, you shouldn't be doing it. Oh, well, of course I can. You know, da 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 And everybody's got their defence, haven't they? Get rid of that chatter. Get rid of those monkeys in your head. Get rid of that committee because what we're required to do is to bring that thinking in submission and obedience to Jesus Christ. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say that in your head there can be all these different voices? Or do they only talk to me? Don't do it, Michael. All these different voices. And the Bible says that we are meant to be in warfare in that zone. That we're meant to fight and demolish the strongholds. Whatever your stronghold is, there could be several, but may you break free in the name of Jesus, but you've got to go to war. You don't play with it. It's a high place. It's going to take effort. 
You're going to have to go against it as a siege mentality. I'm going to do warfare here until I break through. And whether that's deep prayer counseling or deliverance or renewal of the mind, sometimes you've got to go for it. Sometimes you've got to get militant. <laughs> Jesus, help me, Lord. I mean it. I really do mean it. I absolutely mean it. You know, whether it be forgiveness, that's another big one for some people. You cannot afford to be in unforgiveness. Doesn't mean you ever approve or accept what might have happened to you. That's a different dynamic. But you've got to let it go. Otherwise, it becomes a stronghold. And that stronghold becomes a place where the enemy sets up its defences, etc. So, <coughs> Jesus promises in Romans chapter 8 that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Isn't that nice? Isn't that really nice? Anyone yeah, wants to be a conqueror? Oh, I've got one conqueror here. Do you have another conqueror? There's only one way to be a conqueror though. And it involves something. It involves getting enemies... I have no troubles getting enemies, particularly in here, and going to war. Going to war in the name of Jesus. Get a Christian jihad going. <laughs> jihad. But not as the world fights, but as God would have us. That fight for what's happening in my head. Do you know right now that even though we can't see it, that in the atmosphere right here, there are... I, I, I couldn't assume how many tetrabytes of information that's available in the atmosphere right now. And there's stuff about how to cook eggs to, the, you know, how to pop pimples to uh, how to... I mean, there's everything. Some of it's really good. Some of it is really bad. It's all in the air right now. But you can have a device and that device allows you to tune into, to choose what you want to hear. And that becomes a part of your input. You know what? In the world of ideas, that's exactly the same thing. We can be living in fear because of global climate change. I think that global climate change is responsible for everything. My hair's falling out, that's global climate change. The grass is too long, I need to mow the lawn. That's global climate change. We can be in fear of the coronavirus and, you know, these things are serious and whether they're a fire and all, all these things are bad. But, you know, more people die driving cars. There's fight going on for our minds. The devil wants your imagination and the world wants your inner world. So, next slide, thank you. So, attack and annihilate, go to the war. Okay, so here's Philippians, chapter 4, says, and then the peace of God will garrison, protect. It's the same language of having a fortress, will fortify your mind with his divine peace that you cannot figure out. It's beyond all comprehension. But the way you do that is you've got to do a few things. And he says, you've got to put your thoughts on trial. Not every thought that comes into your mind is healthy. Okay? Many, many years ago, I was, I was 
crippled by something happening to my life. It was, it literally could have taken me out. There was a season in my life where I'd be driving around the block saying, do I go home or do I find a tree? And that went on for months. Really, really difficult. And so now this battle's going on in my mind. And, and a big breakthrough for me came when I suddenly realised that thought is not me. That remembrance isn't God. That thought was the devil just rubbing my nose, bring me back to something really, really difficult. I had to figure out that not everything that Mike thinks is good. Not everything that Mike thinks, well, actually, that didn't surprise you, that one. <laughs> not everything Mike thinks is God either. Not everything Mike thinks. So I, I've had to learn that thoughts, a bit like all that data in the air, some of them are good thoughts. Thank you for happy thoughts. Some of them are bad thoughts. Some of them are demonic thoughts. And our ability to put them on trial, to test them, to tune into what God's saying is a huge key to what will happen in your life. And Philippians just gives us a short little test. Is it true? Because half the stuff's not even true. Is it right? Is it, you know, it could be true, but it may not be right. Is it pure? Is it acceptable? Is it recommended? This is a good one. Is it helpful? Because some of the thoughts that can come into my mind... It is true. I experienced a terrible, terrible situation. Well, you know, is it pure that I'm trying to move into forgiveness? I could go into all that space and get at the end of the day, I could go, yes, 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 yes. That thought wasn't helping me. Some of the thoughts, you know, it could be something like, you know, You know, I got let down or something. Well, it happened. It's true. Was it right? It wasn't right. So, but not every thought you think is helping you. And so, and does the thought give credit to God as well? You know, it pushes out the ego a little bit. And the thing is, if you do this battle, if you do it well, then you have power to demolish strongholds. You have the way to win every war you have the ability to uh, win at every attack when you can do the battle of the mind. Next slide. Thank you. Okay, this is a uh, painting, very famous painting, the Siege of Jerusalem uh, that took place under the uh, Emperor Titus in 70 AD. Uh, Josephus says about 1.1 million people died in the siege. It was probably a little bit exaggerated because it was probably the whole population possible at the city at the time. So later historians probably revised that figure down to about 350,000 people, maybe 500,000 people died. This is the holy city and uh, there's a situation where Titus has come up. This is the second siege now in three years and they're now attacking the city. And again, it's a stronghold. Strongholds don't fall quickly. It takes some time to mount siege, to get the, the energy, the weapons, the soldiers, the equipment necessary to bring down a stronghold. 
But the expression actually coming out of the Spanish War is of the danger of the fifth column was absolutely in play here with the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So I think it was General Emilio Gustas or something was raiding Barcelona and he had four armies. One army was to the north, another army was to the south, another to the east and the west. And they've surrounded this city and of course they're doing what they can but there are fortified walls, the, the city's holding out and one of the uh, general soldiers, uh, you know, under commanders came up and says, well, how are we going to take the city? We're going to get the, the, north, the first army, the second army, the third army, the fourth column to come in. He says, no, I'm going to take the city using the fifth column. So everybody put up five? Or five? The fifth column. And the soldier said uh, to the general, well, where's the fifth column? You don't have a fifth column. He says, yes, we do. He says, no, we don't. He says, no, yes, we do. The people in the city will be the fifth column. The fifth column talks about how when we lose confidence, when we get into fear and doubt, that we often then are the very people that will destroy our lives. And so in Jerusalem, the sad story was that as the Roman army mounted siege on this. You've got different groups within the city. One group's known as the Zealots. Uh, one of the disciples was a, used to be a member of the Zealots. This is a political group, and they burn the foodstocks of the city to increase the motivation of the people. Not a good move. The Romans didn't do it. Someone in the city burnt the foodstocks. And they couldn't put out the fire. Then there's another faction, the Scahali, the Scali, the, the dagger people. They uh, and the zealots were having fights and they actually murder both of the... They're going to basically... There's a fight going on between the various factions on the inside of the city. And so the city falls so much quicker, so much sooner because of the crisis on the inside. You know, the enemy is the inner me. Yeah. The enemy is the inner me. And the Bible makes you a promise that if you will fight with the right weapons in the right way, and if you'll have an attitude of aggression against the strongholds and take down the strongholds, take them down, and if you will, then bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. That's taking captive. Say captive. Is captive dancing? Well, maybe. Not really. Captive is a strong word, isn't it? It's a militant word. Now, some of us in our heads at times, even now, you've got little thoughts bouncing around in your head right now. Do I want to be here? Is it worthwhile being a Christian? Should I do this? Should I do this? All those thoughts are bouncing around. The Bible says you've got to capture the suckers and you've got to you know, put them in chains. Make them kneel to the teaching of Jesus Christ. Make them obey Jesus. The thought that says that you're no good, maybe you could actually say, but I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Make it kneel. The thought that says that you're a failure, you'll never amount to anything. You can actually grab another thought and say, I make you bow to the fact 
that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The one that says, you know, I'm alone and I don't have a partner, I don't have this, you can actually say, but God has promised that he'll never leave me or forsake me, that he is a father to the widows and to the orphan. You just need to make that submit to Jesus. Get those thoughts that are running around the back paddock of your mind and bring them to submit to Jesus. And you know what? You will have just enormous growth and development. Paul says it this way, Therefore, brothers and sisters, I beseech you, I beg you, by the very mercies of God, that you transform, don't be conformed to this world. And that's again the, the system of ideas. Flu's going to kill everybody. The economy's never going to turn around that I can never get a job, that all, all that, those worldly ideas, don't be conformed to that, don't be pressured and squeezed into that, but be transformed through getting this thing right here, renewing the mind, renewing the mind, renewing the mind, and by doing that, the Bible says that we'll experience the change of a butterfly, that pupil, that worm, that creature that doesn't look terribly nice and in the, in the crystal this actually looks even dead but it actually can go through metamorphosis. The real you comes out. Not the fake you, not a new you, but the real you created to be in the image of God unfolds through the renewal of your mind. So I believe in older course but I reckon if you don't get this happening in your life very few altar calls will get you too far. I believe in uh, conferences and I believe in listening. And re- but unless you get this right in your life, you will not do well in church, in, in developing as a Christian because of the enemy who is the enemy. Next slide, I think. How are we doing? Is that the last one? I- I'm getting this. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, can we have the team up, please? And uh, we'll, we shall close. Well, I tried. Thank you, David. I appreciate you. That's enough. That's enough. Just make certain you clap for Jesus more. Um, look, I am concerned that the world's facing some really difficult things now. And uh, it'd be good for just to pray for, you know, the fires in Canberra and New South Wales and our Chinese brothers and sisters. And there are a number of people in our house, you know, facing chemotherapy and health issues. Some need jobs, some need breakthroughs financially. Um, so if you need a miracle, you know someone needs a miracle, can you just stand where you are? We're not going to bring it front, but just stand where you are. If you need a miracle in your life, just stand. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that we can come boldly to you, to the throne of grace, that we might receive favour and help in the time of need. And Lord, uh, you, you care for us, and so we can confidently throw our cares upon you. But Father, we do look for that breakthrough, Lord, for jobs, for health, Lord, for these terrible fires, Lord, for this virus in the world. 
may you be active on the planet in bringing your grace and mercy to all of our needs. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. We'd like to see number three on that list. Thank you. Thank you.